It's time for the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online for all your website needs at sonicwebstudios.com. The Mike Wagner Show brings you interesting people doing interesting things all across the globe. Now, let's get started on the Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com. Hey everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Looking for a professional website without breaking a budget? Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable, custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today at 800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show, get 10% off your first order. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, the Mike Wagner Show can be heard on themikewagnershow.com. Also on Facebook at facebook.com slash themikewagnershow. You can also download and listen to Mike Wagner at The Mike Wagner Show. Also on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And take us wherever you go. All right, we've got an actor, writer, director, and a movie studio owner out of the uh, wonderful Florida area. And uh, he's got a great project going on, which will not exactly leave you in pieces, I could say that. And here he is. He's also worked with uh, a number of um, great acts. He's also been a wonder since the age of seven. And, of course, he's also um, a fan of many things. We'll get to all that. But first of all, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to introduce to you the wonderful owner of Cap Studios and making a huge impact that will shatter you away, Ian Stevens. Ian, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us. V. Gates, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Okay, you've been an actor, writer, director for quite some time. You also um, worked with uh, Universal Studios. You've been involved with the Rolling Stones and Steve Carell. And you also uh, you know, started off in Wonder Bread, but you've got a big project going on, and it's called Cap Studios. But first of all, tell us how you got started in your uh, career. Well, it's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Um, I've been four generations in my family. My great-grandfather was, um, worked as a script supervisor for MGM back in the, the days of the golden era of Hollywood with, um, with uh, Louis B. Mayer. As well as my grandfather did the same thing, kind of fell his stuff, got his degree in, in literature from Stanford, and then continued his uh, working with um, script developments and storyline projects and things like that. So they were more or less the behind the scenes, behind the scenes. They were they worked in the administration aspect to kind of liaison between production and the administration. Then my father um, was a jack of all trades, master of all. He and his two brothers um, were involved in. Uh, uh, many things, and they were worked in special effects. They, they that was their love, was working on in the, in, the, in that in their situation, the golden age of Hollywood, as far as um, uh, working with science fiction in the fifties and sixties. They worked on different movies such as uh, um, the Creature of the Black Lagoon, The Day the Earth Stood Still, um, The Thing, uh, a lot of different things. And then my father and my two uncles were consultants with Walt Disney. Uh, our family was fortunate enough to be part owner uh, with, uh, with two other families in CBS with Pacific Ocean Park, which people in Los Angeles are really well aware of if they know the history of Los Angeles. 
uh, just south of the Santa Monica Pier was an amusement park that stood there in the 50s and 60s called Pacific Ocean Park, or better known as P.O.P., which was a backdrop to many TV shows and movies uh, for uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, the last episode of the, the original Fugitive with David Jansen was filmed at P.O.P. in 1966. Um, our family was involved up until that point. My dad's adventure of things that he did um, were creative in the regards of um, special effects, as I mentioned, uh, they developed the, the house of the maze and the fun house and everyone that, that saw it and enjoyed it back in the day. And then they had the flight to Mars, which really intrigued Walt Disney. And he was, he came out and saw it, liked it. And he asked my dad and, um, my two uncles if they would help out with some of the things that he was trying to do. So the flight to Mars and the, and, and the flight to the moon that was modified over the years at Disneyland was based off the ideas that my dad and, and uh, my two uncles did. They had a group called uh, Up and Atom, which was their their company. And uh, then the early ages developments of audio animatronics, uh, my father was involved in, and also hydraulics, a lot of the special things, and the live action stuff that they did at Disneyland, like the, the, um, the pneumatics that were developed for um, the, the Jungle Cruise, which was the first one, and then they did that for the It's a Small World, and it just kind of took off with the the Tiki Room and all the wonderful things that people have seen both at Disneyland and Disney World, which is, of course, manifests itself into a magnificent uh, royalty of, of color and fantasy. So when I was a little guy, my, my dad decided he had pretty much had enough of Hollywood. And so we moved from Los Angeles. We lived in, um, we had a couple of homes. Um, my parents were, my dad's side of the family was kind of well off, I guess, if you will. Uh, I was born in, in Escondido, California, but we had a ranch in Ramona, California. <clears throat> my dad was a part-time vet. He just loved animals as well. And so we had a, a rabbit farm and a turkey farm. And and so I was, the first couple years of my life was there. And we went back and forth between that house and the house in Pacific Palisades, which is right near um, Santa Monica and Malibu. And then and when I was three years old, 1961, my dad decided he'd had enough of the Hollywood connection and kind of dis, disenchanted himself, just you know, kind of cut ties with Hollywood and so we moved to Palo Alto because my dad had gone to Stanford and was very familiar with the area and went with a new company that was just starting up called Intel. You know, everyone knows what Intel is. Interesting. Exactly. So he just, he was one of their first engineers and it was at the time, you know, the, the only thing that was in Palo Alto at that time was, um, you know, Hewlett Packard, Dave Packard and Bill Hewlett had started their company and, but it was, they were only just in small computers and calculators. That's what they were developing in the sixties. And my mom worked at Stanford. And so their accounting department were always the prototypes of things that were happening in electronics. So this is, you know, well before the Silicon Valley took off, I grew up in Palo Alto, graduated from high school. And then the, the summer after I graduated high school is when the Silicon Valley just exploded. Um, and, you know, I, it, it just uh, turned into an incredible marvel as we know today with all the major headquarters of all the major, major electronic companies. So when I was four, I was uh, interested. I went to see a, uh, a movie with my mom. And nobody knows to the history of our family because I was just too young to understand it. But I remember seeing Ron Howard playing Winthrop in The Music Man. And so I said, Mommy, I want to do that. I want to do that. And she said, no, 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 you don't. I said, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. And so we, she looked at the newspaper and at the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, which was about 20 miles away north of Palo Alto, um, they were having auditions for <clears throat> different roles of the, the King and I. So she thought, well, 
Ian could at least, you know, he can sing and he can, he's quite a card and I didn't have really many formal training. And uh, so I went and auditioned for Prince of Lockhorn and I got the part. Nice. And so it was kind of a, an experience and I didn't realize all it was. To me, it was just having fun. I could memorize lines. It was just one of those things that I, I just thought everyone could do. If I could do it, why can't they do it? You know? <laughs> and I would, I would, and my parents always, were amazed. I would remember certain things growing up, and they said, "How you?" And I just, where I'd, I would, I would see kids I went to school with, first, second, third grade. Wouldn't see them for a couple of years because I was out doing different things, and come back to Palo Alto, and I would say, "Hey, Joe," and they like, "Who are?" And they, "Oh, you." And they, "How do you remember me?" And I was like, "I just thought everybody did. That's how my brain worked, you know." Mm-hmm. So um, that just kind of parlayed itself, and we had always kept in touch with family in Los Angeles and especially Pasadena where my dad was born and raised and my mom stored in Sierra Madre. And, um, so the time came, I was in Los Angeles. Um, uh, we were down for a visit and there was, my mom was reading the newspaper and the star news, which was the local paper in Pasadena. And there was an audition for a commercial. And in those days, a lot of times they would, they would post auditions in the local, um, periodicals. Mm-hmm. And so there was an audition for Wonder Bread. Okay. And I was seven, I was seven and a half at the time, almost eight. And I uh, got that commercial. Nice. And um, so I had my first line ever was, Wonder Bread is the eight hour bread. <laughs> of course, my voice was very high at the time, but <laughs> many years ago. And then that just kind of grew itself into uh, more work as a kid and did a couple, a lot of, um, uh, uh, a lot of commercials, especially McDonald's. I had a ton of commercials for McDonald's over the years. And I was always flying back and forth between Palo Alto and, and Los Angeles. And I took um, more. I took my career more seriously when I was a teenager. Uh, I had a terrific um, acting coach in, in high school. His name was Robert Stockman. I, I, went, I attended Gunn High School in Palo Alto. And uh, a number of uh, well-known actors have come out of there. I mean, uh, well, um, James Franco went to our rival high school. He went to Palo Alto High School. Uh, but uh, um, Shamar Moore, who's on that new show SWAT on TV, he was also in Criminal Minds, little handsome African-American kid. He, His oldest sister was in my class. So he's from Palo Alto. He went to Gun High School as well and was tutored by, by Robert Stockman as well. Um, and so then after high school and a short stint with sports, with football and track, um, I wanted to have some more formal training. I took some classes at Stanford and then also at Foothill College and was part of the Summerstock Theater. And then I was in San Francisco, back of ACT again. And then I transferred, went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in Los Angeles. It was settled in Pasadena at the time. They have two campuses, one in New York and then one in, in Pasadena. Now they're settled in, in downtown Hollywood. And so the oldest English-speaking academy of dramatic arts and it was established in 1888 in New York City. And so I attended there. I went there for uh, about a year and a half and um, started plugging away, doing different things. And I also wanted to learn the craft of filmmaking. So I took, uh, I attended AFI, the American Film Institute in Hollywood, soon after I left the Academy. And uh, But I would just hit the road uh, on both ends, both behind the camera, in front of the camera, try to keep as versatile as possible. Mostly it was, I did a lot of, um, a lot, you know, I left some things out. I did a lot of touring I was with um, national touring companies of different shows, mostly my love for musical theater. Uh, so I did Evita, I did Cats, did Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, I did Any Get Your Gun. I did Film on the Roof. Um, I did Phantom. Um, and just had a blast over the many years. I've, I've done over 60 um, productions of shows over a period of about 15, 20 years. 
and um, and I appeared in you know all over the country and uh, in Europe, and um, so a great stage background mostly with everything, and then just kind of culminated the things of doing guest spots on Chips and Mark and Mindy and Happy Days and um, oh gosh uh, WKRP in Cincinnati where I met my mentor Gordon Jump who played Martha Carlson on the TV show, and um, I actually met him a couple years prior to him doing that as well and then also through the years uh had become friends uh our families had um well-known um or i should say had uh friendships with well-known people my dad was really good friends with shirley temple they, they actually grew up across the street from each other in southern california and they were friends growing up and ironically enough after my mentioned earlier that my dad had left intel he got a job working for a, a company called ampex um uh, and uh he worked as vice president for, in charge of marketing, and his uh, his boss's name was Charles Black. Well, one day he invited Charles to come to dinner for the house, not knowing his family situation. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Black show up at the house, and my dad looked at Charles and, and looked at the wife, and the wife looked at my dad and said, Dale Stevens, does that live and breathe? And he said, Shirley, how are you? It was Shirley Temple Black. Oh, my gosh. They used to come, they, they lived in Woodside, which is just north of Palo Alto. And um, Charles was my dad's boss. They didn't know that, you know, they had lost contact for almost 20 years. Wow. And so we rekindled up with them and they used to come over to our house and some of the pool. We used to go to their house and some of the pool. And, and I, re- I remember because I used to watch the Shirley Temple Theater they used to have in San Francisco on television every Saturday afternoon. We used to watch her shows. And, and then when she started coming on, I said, are you that same little girl? Is that you? And she said, yeah, that was me. And so it was, uh, you know, very ineffective at all because, you know, we were around it quite a bit. Um, where my dad lived in Southern California growing up, they lived right next door to Will Rogers. Like I said, my dad's side of the family was very fluent. And so they had a, another ranch home uh, right off in the Pacific Palisades. And so he knew, he knew Clark Gable. He knew Gary Cooper. Uh, of course, the contacts at both my um, my grandfather, my great grandfather, had by working at MGM, so they knew all the stars at the time. And, and um, you know, I think uh, Louis B. Mayer said there was more stars in MGM than there were in the heavens. You know, it was his motto at the time. So to be around a lot of well-known people, it just, it was it, to me. I thought everyone did that. You know, I thought you know that was that was the gig, that was the thing. And so you know, it's interesting. People have asked me, "Do you ever get nervous about anybody?" I said, "There's only two people." In all the years that I've met folks in this industry through a series of circumstances, and at one time I was a pitch producer, so I would meet with people, I'd meet with celebrities at their homes, and then take them to the airports and pitch them the idea. So it was kind of killing two birds with one stone. And there's two people, ironically, that would really make me nervous, only because their aura was so strong, and that was Helen Hunt and Carl Weathers, who played Apollo Creed in the Rocky series. Oh, my goodness. He, I know, of all people. you know, He just has a really strong aura. And the gal, Sylvia Miles, who played Apollo's wife in those movies, was a dear friend of mine. We had the same agent at the time when I was acting full-time, and we, could, we became good friends. And so that entered into our conversation. And so uh, that was a lot of fun. And different people I'd run into, we always knew someone like a, um, Willard Pugh, who played Harpo in The Color Purple, is a great friend of mine. We did a lot of stage shows together. And, and so when I ran into Danny Glover or, or when I was associate producing for Lisa Gibbons years later at um, the Lisa Gibbons show at Paramount for a year, 
um, you know, Whoopi Goldberg was one of our guests, and we, we were in the green room, and she and I were talking, and we talked about about Willard, and she said, "I thought he quit the business." And I said, "No, he just he went to he went to uh, St. Louis is where he's from, and so he went to take care of his mom. He took ill, and she finally passed away. He was there for about six, seven years. He, he'd gotten away from Hollywood, and now he's back full swing. He's back acting and doing a lot of guest spots on different different movies and so forth. So. A lot of times, especially, it was uh, old home week for me if I would run into someone that my parents knew or that I knew that were well-known, like the cast from uh, Little House on the Prairie and you know things like that. And I got to know Michael Lannon. And he mentored me in directing a little bit. And so did Sidney Pollack. That's uh, a whole different story with Sidney Pollack. He was a great man who was a you know, well-known Academy uh, Award-winning director and how I learned a lot of my trade as a, as a director from him and others that I took classes from. But all the while when I was acting, I was always in class, always formulating my my craft and learning, you know, day to day. Uh, I truly have lived the life of Walter Mitty. I've been in situations and have met people in, in different and odd times that you, I really have people told me I need to write a book and I, I, these days I probably will. So, um, uh, but recently, uh, when I, you know, when I, um, got married, uh, uh, in the late nineties, I cut my hours back at universal and um, uh, then a few years later, we had my son, uh, Jeffrey. I was a late bloomer. I was 42 when Jeffrey was born and 43 when Lacey was born. And then I just was able to dedicate myself. We moved from Pasadena, was where I was living, uh, to Rancho Cucamonga, which is halfway between Los Angeles and Palm Springs, and uh, was a stay-home dad. I, was, uh, I had that luxury to do that. And then I was driving my wife crazy. Said, "You just get out of the house. You're driving me crazy. You got to do something." And I said, "Okay." So I started working in, uh, you know, I sold timeshare. I did different things. I was in retail for furnishings for, gosh, um, about four or five years. Did that. Had a lot of time, but I always kept my hand in filmmaking, just to do like small projects and things like that. And then um, formulated a company called One Two Punch Productions, and I was um, building up my company clientele base to do commercials for mostly merchants in the Inland Empire, in Ontario, Upland, Claremont, San Dimas, that part of Los Angeles, and so for the local, you know, cable companies and stuff. And then when the economy crashed in 2008-2009, we had the house here in Florida that we shared with my in-laws. And we were trying to think, what are we going to do? Because it, 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 the economy just was was killing my clientele base. I was losing um, that type of thing. And I, unfortunately, I had a contract with the Lakers and the Kings with the Bus family, and I was doing all the commercials for the jumbotron internally for the Staples Center. And so, um, John Bus, the, the Bus family, calls me up and said, "Well, I think we got enough film to last me for six months." I'm, oh, John, you're killing me. And he said, "Well, I think I might have to move to Florida." And he goes. Oh, really? He went, yeah. And so then when that fell through, then Andy said, well, you know, we have the house in Tarpon Springs. And I went, I don't know about moving to Florida. My relatives are here. Blah, blah. She said three magic words to me. Mike, she said, no estate taxes. I went, what? <laughs> Couldn't have moved faster, you know. And so for me, it was a life-changing experience coming, you know, 3,000 miles away and 20 degrees southern in latitude of what being equivalent to Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. And to we, we arrived here in March of 2009. Um, I basically just kind of wanted to just kind of say goodbye to Hollywood and just kind of start a new life with the kids. The kids were in first and second grade. And little did we know that we it's a major blessing. I'm moving on. I'll tell you that in, about, in just a few minutes. But 
uh, I got a job right away working for the university um, at Tampa area, working in administration because I'd always had always had a, um, a connection with um, education. Of the years I was an actor, as a young adult in my 20s and 30s, I'm now 60, but when I was in my 20s and 30s, um, I was a substitute teacher for the LA Unified School District and for Pasadena, Arcadia, South Pasadena, Alhambra area in Los Angeles. And it was a great gig because I could call them in the morning and if they had something for me and I didn't have any auditions that day, and most auditions would go to 7 o'clock at night anyway in Hollywood, so or in and around Los Angeles, Burbank. And they would, um, um, you know, I'd be done at 3 o'clock so I could still go to audition. And if I got a gig and I booked it, then I didn't have to go. So my substitute teaching situation was a, a great gig to have for, for anybody who was pursuing their acting career. Mm-hmm. And if I had, and if I got a, you know, if I got a, a sitcom or if I got a, a movie of the week or whatever, then I can take off for two weeks, get paid by that, and then go, go back to signing myself up to stuff to teach. So when I got here, um, I worked in administration and worked in the admissions at University of Tampa and then Argus University. And it was really interesting because when I got here, I, I, I had to pinch myself every morning I was driving across the bay at one of the main thoroughfares across Tampa Bay from the peninsula side where I live. Tarpon Springs is north of Clearwater and and Tampa, but downtown Tampa is across the bay. It's like San Francisco is to Oakland. Mm-hmm. So I had to cross the bay every day and, you know, 10 miles. And I would just pinch myself thinking, gosh, this is paradise. Like palm trees, people swimming at 7 o'clock in the morning and ski doing and all this kind of stuff. I was just like, this is just really nuts. So I'm, I, I had to pinch myself. I live in Flipping, <laughs> Florida. And it's been, uh, you know, so I thought, you know, I felt like Al Pacino because soon after that, a friend of mine who found out that I'd worked at Universal and actually some of the people knew my work because I'd grown up but in the nineteen the late eighties I decided to go into production side of things. And so I had to do my internship and I started out as a um a tour guide, just like, like most of them do. And then did my tour for about a year and a half, all the while I'm, you know, trying to plant my seeds around the around the campus at Universal and um seeing where we stood with things. And then I finally got a job on one of my first jobs I worked as a line producer for um uh, for law, no, LA Law, excuse me, and I worked with Jimmy Smits and Susan Rutan, and uh, it was a funny thing with her. We she and I just rekindled our friendship through Facebook. She remembered me from the years gone by when I had worked on that show. So that oh was a lot of connections. Was you know with that, and then with Jimmy Smits and um, uh, Cynthia Pickles and a few other actors. You know, a lot of you know well-known people at the time that were top Melody Green and all those that wonderful, wonderful, and Corbin Burnson. I mean, the list goes on and on. And Larry Drake was a really good friend of mine. Larry Larry was on the show. He played um, Ernie. He was the, the man with special needs. He was on the show. And just a terrific individual. And he just recently passed away, I think, last year. And so there was, uh, you know, that's that's the sad thing about, you know, knowing a lot, a lot of people. And sometimes you, you come across them. You, you have an opportunity to work with some fantastic, wonderful actors, people that, you, you know, you dream of working with. And people that you come, you know, best friends with, and and it was a, how do you know these people? Well, that's, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. It's it, the nature of the industry, you know, type thing. It, it sounds like you have a great passion for what you do, and uh, we'll get to the part on how you uh, got started on Cap Studios. But first, I'd like to remind you, listen to the Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Looking for a professional website without breaking your budget? Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable, custom web designs that blow the competition away. 
Call today at 800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show. Get 10% off your first order. Sonic Web Studios. Take your image to the next level. Also, the Mike Wagner Show can be heard on themikewagnershow.com. Also on Facebook at facebook.com slash themikewagnershow. Also can be heard on SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. We're here with actor, writer, director, and producer, and studio owner of Cap Studios, Ian Stevens. You know, just having a wonderful full life, you know, going from Palo Alto, San Francisco, parts of California, and going over to Florida and just having a great idea. And uh, we're not taking calls, by the way, folks. <laughs> it's uh, not a live. It's kind of like a live show. We don't do uh, call-ins, by the way. And, of course, you know, he's uh, appeared in a lot. We're going to get to a part on the inspiration of Cap Studios. And, Ian, how'd you get started with Cap Studios? And uh, tell us all about what's your inspiration. Well, as I... Left off, we, you know, I had come, we moved here to Florida and I really had no intention of doing anything in, in film and television. I really wanted to dedicate my life to the kids. And I met a gentleman by the name of Matt Ayotte who had done some uh, different things in production with different people. And he said, he finally says, oh, we need your help here in Florida. And this is why I said, it's a dying breed. We used to be number three in filmmaking. We're dying a, a slow death. And this is back in, two, well, the first guy, 2009. So he invited me to the Florida Film Industry, or no, the um, FMPTA, which stands for Florida Motion Picture and Television Association. And it was held at one of the, 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 the uh, American Legion in Tampa. And so I walked in, and uh, no disrespect to anybody who might be listening, <laughs> but um, um, I walked in, and it was like an old folks' home. And uh, people would sit around. The, the, the organization had been around Florida since the early 1970s, and they were helping, they'd worked with Ivan Tours in Florida and worked with uh, uh, helping out with Ron Howard whenever he came down from the mid-80s uh, for all the shows that he did, like Cocoon and, you know, uh, Parenthood and Apollo 13 and all, most of his shows he's filmed here in Florida. And um, so as I sat and listened to a lot of the, the younger guys, uh, at that time I was, you know, my late 40s, and so we, we came, or I was, what, 49, 50 at the time, so uh, the guys that were really having a concern for the group as a whole and filmmakers in Florida were in their you know mid to late 30s and trying to get things off the ground, but they, they just seemed couldn't get the, get their act together. And I, I said, well, now that I've been able to see a couple of weeks how you guys have been doing, do you mind, you really want my honest opinion? They said, yes, we really want to know what you're doing. And I said, well, you need to change your leadership. You've got a lot of guys that sit around and talk about the good old days and nothing's happening now. You know, maybe one or two that are doing it. Uh, but you, you guys are being stagnant. You need to change your leadership in order to grow. That's the bottom line. And so um, I had um, um, left my, my woes with that. And so with Matt's encouragement, he said, you know, with once you punch, you might be able to revitalize that. And so we did. I, I had registered, and that was my company that I had going for a while. And then through... Uh, some situations that just kind of changed things that it evolved under some circumstances in which I was given leadership to the Florida Film Industry Expo, which was uh, uh, an activity that I created to help bring um, talent and awareness both behind the camera and in front of the camera firsthand because Florida needed a kick in the rear mm -hmm. uh, as a whole. So I worked with getting all the film commissioners involved. I got a couple of celebrities to come out. Um, I had um, some friends that I'd grown up with. 
Uh, all is a favorite to me. I had Mark Pelligini as one of the top casting directors. You know, he did Melrose Place, worked a lot with Aaron Spelling. He came out and did a seminar. I had Rasha Drakovich, who I've known since fifth grade. We grew up in Palo Alto together. And his company, 44 Blue, um, does, he has, you know, he's won a couple of Emmys and we played football together in high school. Uh, and he has the Wahlberger shows with Danny Wahlberger and Mark Wahlberger. And he's got, um, Lockup on MSNBC and Nightwatch. And they film in Tampa and they film also in, uh, New Orleans. And so it's just that kind of thing. I was able to just rally everyone up for the cause of moving forward and raising the awareness to doing filming and TV, as well as my first love for stage here in, in, in Florida as well. Mm-hmm. So then that, so then what cap was, was uh, an idea of mine that I remembered. I used to go to, when I lived in Los Angeles, I, used to go, I was a big fan of the angels, um, uh, baseball team and at the, and, and their stadium is in Anaheim. And so it, every time I would go down there around the back end base of the stadium is a big metal shaped, um, hard baseball cap. Mm-hmm. And it's got the A insignia and so forth. That's just their moniker. And so I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Gosh, if I ever, you know, if I ever had a studio or a production company, I'd like to call it Cap Studios, based because <laughs> all. I'm, and I'm, and I had that time too, which I still have. I, my son and I were in the garage today. We found this big bag of collection of, of caps, whether they were hunting caps, baseball caps, Panama hats, whatever, was in this big plastic Ziploc bag. And I thought, well, I, I told Jeffrey, I said, you know, that's where I got my idea for Cap Studios. He goes, well, it's because of my collection of hats. I use all those hats that are in that bag right now. I used to have in my man cave room in California and I tacked them up on the wall. And he said, really? He said, yeah, it was my collection. So I, I, that's why I have to kind of watch myself every time I go by a sports memorabilia store in the mall where they've got insignias of baseball caps and jerseys. Cause I, you, that's my, that's my weakness. So I have just have to kind of back away. <laughs> so, um, so I get, that's how I came up with the, the idea about kind of expanding cap studios and, and developing projects. Um, it also evolved out of, I decided to kind of help people uh, teaching workshops, um, both behind the camera in front of the camera, because Florida had such a bad reputation of not getting a lot of good talent to come out and audition. And so that was the problem was that a lot of people in Florida said, well, we know when the production companies come into Florida, they don't hire us. They bring the people from Hollywood and New York. So when I brought Mark Palladini out, our cast director and, um, other cast directors I've worked with over the years, like Lynn Stallmaster and so forth. They said, well, if you, if, because we know what you've done, I was also was an acting coach and had been since 1992. And, um, they said, well, if we know that you and Michael Haney, who um, um, unfortunately just passed away as well in, down in Miami, Shauna Bartel, who is in Orlando and Annie Matheny, who's in St. Pete. They said, if we know that actors are being trained by you, the four of you, he says, then we'll know that they're being trained up properly because they know, they know the element of, of, the craft itself. And so that kind of evolved itself. And then with that, it kind of compounded the things of wanting to do projects and, and do so in our cap studios. And so we, right now we're in the midst of, um, a building plan, uh, trying to uh, raise capital for, uh, a, um, a, a media multimedia center. And, but we realized that right now our time is slipping away in trying to get some of the projects done. So with Cap Studios, what we're working on is a number of, of uh, original ideas that I came up with and some of my other inner core people that have developed as terrific writers, people like uh, a gentleman by the name of Wade Cox, who's from Orlando, and, and Deborah Powell, who's from Port Charlotte. And um, we've kind of put our heads together along with some great cinematographer. I work with a gentleman by the name of White, Mike Whitetrack, who's uh, here in Tampa. We met through mutual friends and 
And um, I only use Mike on any of my, my projects. Really, he's a fantastic cinematographer, and he's grown and developed with me over the years. And we started out doing um, documentaries. We did a documentary on Vietnam, and we've done some fun little things here and there, little uh, short film subjects and things like that. Um, but I wanted to kind of really set a mark with Cap Studios, and in doing so, because a lot too many filmmakers, I feel, from my observation here in Florida, is that they get caught up in just wanting to do some of the, their filming here, which is fine, but then they take their projects or small films or short films or even elongated films, and they treat it like a science project, and they show it at the local film festivals, and then that's it, and they just start the process all over again. And I try to challenge them to think outside the box, mm-hmm. to think bigger, to go to the networks, to go. I mean, Netflix is hurting for material. When Rasha was here and he spoke to, he did the, his uh presentation for us i mean he's got he has two emmys you know under his belt and uh and he said you guys have got to, if if you want to do scripted that's fine if you're interested in non-script and doing reality it, there's plenty of work out there there's so much that any needs and discovery channel and history channel and national geographic they're looking for great material mm-hmm. and that things don't always have to be on the big screen you can think about doing something for television as I've learned, you know, when Snyverson over at uh, HBO, she said she's always hurting for to do shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got I got some ideas and doing some scripts for for Hallmark this last year because uh, my kids love all those Christmas love romantic shows that that Hallmark puts on every year. Nice. And as a result, as of last year, they put out over seventy five new materials. Wow. So there's stuff that that can be used. Yeah, I know it's amazing what you, what you didn't know from the year before. Now they're, they're, they have options to wanting to do more work and have an expanded channel. So there's, and now with Netflix and Hulu and all this other stuff, there's so many things that you can pitch out there that they will be accepted, but people sometimes just don't want to take the risk. And that's just it. They, they don't know what to do and how to do it. Or, you know, there's a lot of well-known actors that are out of work and it's a matter of networking those people. So as a result, as you mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation, like was that fact of, how we came across with Shattered. Shattered is uh, my baby that I evolved out of my love for um, science of the mind, Twilight Zone, One mm-hmm. Step Beyond, Outer Limits, Night Gallery, not blood and gore per se. Right. Which, which is the big thing now, you know, with uh, The Walking Dead and some of the other shows that are out there in American Horror Story. Uh, I mean, Conjuring, my gosh, you know, I got to know uh, the Wilson family. John Wilson's the dad and Patrick Wilson's been the star of, you know, all the Conjuring movies. And and to them, it was just a matter of um, power of suggestion. You know, I learned a lot that with when I was mentored by Sidney Pollack. Uh, and I had a chance to, you know, lis- be listening on some conversations with Steven Spielberg and some of the things that he mentioned when I was working at Universal and hearing about the, how, how he got to... Uh, well, how Jaws became so well known was that he stole ideas from Alfred Hitchcock, and Alfred Hitchcock stole ideas from people from his. So we're going back <laughs> hundreds of years. When you look at it, the things that people steal from one another, uh, I shouldn't say steal, it's uh, beg or borrow, I guess. But it's <laughs> its the kind of thing where they, um, they have a mindset of being able to um, uh, tantalize the audience to let the mind what the shark looks like mm. everyone thinks they think they know what a shark looks like but it, if you notice Spielberg didn't show the shark until the last third of the film mm-hmm. Hitchcock never showed the last third of the film if you look at all the traditional monster movies in the 1950s and 60s 
you never saw the monster. It was always a big buildup. Same thing with Dracula and Frankenstein, the Hunchback of Notre Dame and all these classic movies. You never saw the creature of the Black Lagoon in the form because it took away the, the thrill of seeing the monster. And by the time he was at the end, you either empathized with the monster or you were afraid of it. And, and same thing with the original Frankenstein, with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. You know, you, you could either empathize because here he was a victim of someone's, a madman's mind of trying to recreate life and being tortured, or you were afraid of him just because he was considered a monster. And for me, I always, when I was a kid in the 60s, I used to have my blanket over my nose. And I remember watching the birds, Albert Hitchcock, the birds, and having my eyes covered by the blanket and peering down the, the sheet over my nose just so I can kind of give it a little link and look over or seeing the movie, the tarantula or the, the earth versus a spider, or some of those great classic sci-fis or even with uh daily or still, or even King, King Kong, Kong or, you know? or, or even King Kong or Godzilla. Oh yeah. Cause all those kind of things. Oh yeah. By that time, well, by the time the new one came out with Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange, you know, he was like, Oh, oh, oh I can't wait. But there was still that anticipation. Mm-hmm. And De Laurentiis did that in 77. He gave great into anticipation. Look at Spielberg's um, uh, Close Encounters. Same thing. The anticipation of seeing a UFO in all its glory and what it created. Same thing with E.T., the extraterrestrial. You never saw E.T. up until about maybe halfway through the film and then the challenges that he had. So there was always the let, the let up that, that Spielberg and other filmmakers did to tantalize the audience. Well, that's what I'm dealing with with Shattered is I'm, I'm kind of paying homage, if you will, to those people I love, like Rod Sterling and Science of the Mind, and really kind of take you on a journey of where you think you're going and then with a lot of twists and turns. And that's what Shattered is, is, is that you have normal things, kind of a snafu, and then with a resolution, with a message behind it. Um, but it's still, you know, fourth dimensional in that regard, things beyond, you know, two dimension, three dimension, fourth dimension, that type of thing. Okay. And that was everything that's, that, that Rod Sterling always talked about was the fourth dimension. Mm-hmm. So with that, we had been, we put together a trailer and we've been shopping it around and we've also been building a base of an audience. We're now on seven, over 7 million fans that have seen the trailer, love it. And so we're shopping it around currently and we would like to finish that. We decided to do a trilogy to do as a feature film, either for television or for a feature release. So, um, we have Eddie Deason from Greece and Polar Express, the, mother, the guy that talks like, really funny, talks like this, like this. And yes, Polar that's Express, right. Oh, the oh, legendary Eddie Deason. I love Eddie, Eddie Deason. Deason. Eddie, Eddie's going to be with us on episode two and three. Uh, Danny Roebuck, I just had, didn't, he married my best friend. I met, actually hooked them up together with uh, Tammy Roebuck and Danny, or Dan, Dan, <laughs> Danny Roebuck and Tammy Peralta. They met at the expo that I put together. They since got married and they did by closely. And Danny, you've seen him in a million things. He was a regular on Matlock. He played Cliff. He was in Lost. Um, he played um, Dr. Ernst, the guy that blew himself up with nitroglycerin. Uh, he was in The Fugitive. Uh, he played uh, um, Bill Bates, uh, one of the U.S. Marshals with Tommy Lee Jones. He was always one that turns to Tommy Lee Jones in, in The Fugitive and says, Hinky, Hinky, Sam, what are you talking about? Hinky, yeah, whoop, whoop. That's the and most recently, he played Alexander Graham Bell in the Geico commercials. Go, hoy, 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 Alexander Graham Bell here. <laughs> and, and that did very well for him. And we just had lunch uh, two days ago. He's, he's here in Tampa, and he'll be flying back to Burbank uh, next week. Um, and so Danny's going to be playing a, a major role in one of the trilogy series, too. So um, uh, one, an episode we call The Welder, which is going to be really kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm dabbling with stepping into a little bit of blood and gore, which I normally don't like to do, but... I may have to in this one episode, but 
it's it's um you know I'm I'm pulling in a lot of uh, people that people enjoy seeing over the years in television and film uh, that simply aren't working, and it's not about the money. It's just about it's just about the craft of working, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's been my forte of being able to share dreams and visions with these wonderful actors who unfortunately are friends of mine, and I've been blessed by having these relationships and pulling it all together because people like Eddie deserve front and center. You know, people like Danny deserve front and center, even though they've been working over the years and you know, Eddie's been doing voiceover for years and uh, Danny's been doing episodic. He did criminal minds. He's done, uh, um, I want the other show with, uh, GW Bailey. I forget where they played the police detectives. Oh, he was on NCIS and he was on CIS and he said, and he's played, you know, many, many, many roles. So it's fun to get a lot. It's like getting the gang together. Hey guys, let's put on a play. Let's fill the barn, you know, let's get a camera. Okay. Got to get the sound guy. Got to get a makeup guy. Got You know, and to me, that's what makes it fun. You know, if you, if you keep it with a, um, a heart of a child, with the mind of a man, and you can really go far and just have a lot of fun. And I, I teach that to my actors. I, I teach currently every week on Wednesday nights and um, to really a, a dedicated group of, of, of some upcoming uh, people I know will, will be stars, if, you, if for lack of a better word. I just don't know how to say it. I have some wonderful actors, um, Chris and Alan Applegate, which are father and son. They're great actors. Uh, Lisa Yambo, um, Carolyn Cotillo, Sydney Daniels. She's from Pennsylvania. But she came down. We did a film short. It was a tribute to my homage to Sydney Pollock. Um, and you know, I have to, to, to wrap, to, not to say to wrap it all up, but if I were to say to anything, to anybody that's listening in on the show tonight, is that anybody can do whatever they want to do. Don't let anybody step in your mud. Don't let anybody step in your pie. Don't let anybody step in on your path because you know what you want and you have it. It doesn't mean you got to get cocky with it, but just be sensitive to those as you're getting to your, your goal, but to take a risk and make a difference. And I told you earlier, I, I wanted a little a little side story um, with Sidney Pollock, if I will. Um, he was directing and had an office at Universal a lot. And I had been at Universal for about a couple of years. And I walked every once in a while, I would be on the, in his office was in the office where all the producers and directors were located. Now, here's Sidney Pollock at the time, two Academy Awards. He had um, directed Tootsie and he directed Out of Africa you know, blockbuster film with Robert Redford and Meryl Streep. He won Best Director. Had a wonderful career. Um, and so one day I was walking by his office and they, the, the hallways had glass with curtain drawings. So as you're walking down the hallway, if you happen to see people in their office, you'd see them. It was just the design of the architecture of the building. Mm-hmm. And so I would see every once in a while, I would go by Sidney Pollock's office. He'd be sitting there at his desk and he'd be reading the newspaper. Or he'd be writing or doing something. And and, um, and, and that's when I was working for Peter Falk, who was offices was down the hall. So one day it was about lunchtime and I noticed nobody was in his office. His secretary was gone and she's a real bulldog and uh, production assistants and all the people that worked in his office. And I noticed that he was sitting there reading the newspaper at his desk hmm. and he was alone. And I went, Oh my gosh, do I do it? Do I say anything? Do I just, what do I do? And I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to take my chance. So I, you know, you take a risk and you make a difference. That's my motto. There you go. Right. So I walked in, I knocked on the door and he, and he was sitting back at his feet up on the desk, a typical, you know, like a casting office with a newspaper 
in both hands, and he flipped the top of the paper down, and he looked over in his glasses, and he looked over the brim of his glasses, yes. And I said, Mr. Pollock? He says, yes. And I said, I'm, my name is Ian Stevens. And I said, uh, I work here. I'm a lot of line producer over here. And I said, um, uh, you know, I, excuse the intrusion. I said, I just wanted to stop in for a brief second and just let you know that uh, I've been a big fan of your work, and I just uh, really appreciate your artistry. And and I, I really, I'm in the process of learning my development as a director. And I, you know, I thought to myself, what better than to at least ask if you would ever consider mentoring anybody? Have you ever mentored anybody? And I, and then he stops and breathes, and he, and he says, well, "What do you mean, mentor?" I said, "Have you ever mentored anybody as, as to help them learn the craft of directing?" And he said, "No, I haven't." And I said, "Well, I know this is kind of a long shot, but we, we don't really know each other." I said, "Would you, would you consider wanting to mentor me?" Mm. And he put the paper down on his desk, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, he's going to call security." <laughs> <laughs> He he probably he said one more thing. Oh, uh, one more thing. Yeah, one more thing. And uh, his his secretary, the bulldog, comes in. And she says, "Excuse me." And I said, and she, "She goes, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, this is Ian. Ian, this is what's your name? Her name is Lorraine or something." And he's, uh, she says, "Are you okay?" And she says, "Yeah, I, we're we're chatting." And so he she excuses herself, and he he says, he throws the paper down. He sits back in his his easy chair, and he puts his feet back up, puts his hands behind his head. And he says, wow. I said, I've been in this industry for 35 years. And not one person has ever asked me if they thought what I had to say about directing even mattered. Mm. I said, you're kidding me. He said, you're kidding me. He said, Ian, I would be honored. Oh, my gosh. He said, yeah. He goes, yeah. I'll tell you what. He says, "Um, on your days off or if you get off work early, if we're working shooting nights or on the weekends. Uh, if I'm on the sound stages or something like that, I'll leave word with Lorraine and, and I'll have clearance for you so you can come on the set. Wow. I said, that I said this was not like on a Wednesday. I said, well, I, are you shooting anything Friday? And he said, yeah. As a matter of fact, we're shooting late. We're starting at 3 in the afternoon. We're going into, the, into late night because we're shooting on the back lot. And I said, can I come then? And he said, sure. I'm going to sweat. So, what it, so I get down there. It's Friday night. I go down. I go, like, see, he's sick with my hand and I just, was really tickle pink. So I go down and it was for a TV movie that he was shooting for, for NBC. And I get on the set and the PA said, can I help you? I said, yes, I'm Ian Stevens. I'm um, Mr. Pot. And, and Sydney sees me. He saw over and he goes, he goes, he's clear, he's clear, that's Ian. Go, Ian, come over here, right here. I got a spot for you. <laughs> he had set up a director's chair right next to his. And he was sitting right next to the cinematographer and the second, second assistant AD. Wow. And I I was in hog heaven. It was just <laughs> unbelievable that here I was doing stuff. And it was a thing he was doing with Hal Holbrook and uh, Dixie Carter, who he was married to at the time. She's since passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were husband and wife, and they were doing a, I think they're actually, they were doing the old traditional Hallmark uh, for NBC at the time. And Universal had a great contract, love affair with NBC at the time. Uh, I don't know if they do, but well, they do. I mean, uh, NBC owns um uh, Universal, but um, they don't do a lot of Hallmark on NBC since now Hallmark has their own channel. But back in the day, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, Hallmark would never do their Christmas special or Valentine's special or Thanksgiving special. It was always presented mostly on, on NBC. Mm-hmm. So I just sat there and was glued and I took copious notes and I had a piece of paper or like a notepad and pen. And he said, just 
start away. It's before you had telephones where you could just dictate and stuff like that. And I just got to watch how he worked and saying, you know, it just, it was a forever situation. And you know, I did the same thing with Michael Landon years earlier when I was acting on little house in the park and I played a cowboy or a wrestler or something like that. Okay. And, and I did the same thing with him. We were breaking for lunch uh, years earlier. This is back in 82, 83. I was actually dating Pam Roylance who played Mrs. Carter, who the, the family, the Carter family that bought the Ingalls house. And she was the local newspaper editor and her husband, uh, Mr. Carter was, um, uh, the, the, the blacksmith. And so Pam and I were dating at the time. So I was on set quite a bit. And, um, we were, they were filming a lot out on location out in Sydney Valley, out in the old uh, prairie, which is now all developed homes and stuff. And so when Michael would have break for lunch and I, and, and we were talking about the, I'd ask him questions and because I was asking him questions, he knew which way it was kind of leading. So he would, he'd say, yeah, okay, Ian, if you ever direct, this is what you do. And blah, 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 blah. these are kind of the things that I've learned when I worked on a Bonanza and all this kind of stuff. So I just took on all this information in Plifra. And so I passed that on. You know, I, I have every time I do a film now or a TV show or any project, I have a code of conduct with kids and parents and actors. And this is what you're going to, if you're going to be on this set with Cap Studios, this is how you behave. This is what I expect of you. This is, you know, professionalism. We're going to here to have fun and be creative, but the final result is with me. You know, I had to deal with parents, you know, when you deal with, uh, you know, my motto is when you're working with uh, a lot of kids, like when the first episode of Shadow, we, we dealt with a lot of people, a lot of kids, a lot of parents. And I said, well, you're on set. I don't want anybody talking about their verbal resume. I don't want to tell them what little Johnny or little Susie is going to be doing next year. We need to focus and concentrate on this episode. I want the kids to be totally free of that. I don't want any Hollywood moms or dads on the set. Mm, if you that, made, you that's know, a good point. Yeah. Yes. Let them do their thing. Exactly. That's why, that's why I hired your kids. Mm-hmm. So they're good at what they do. And some of them were students of mine because a lot of them, like, I hire a lot of, not to say I'm playing any kind of favoritism, but a lot of times when I'm working with, like in this case, at the first episode, I brought in Sean Stevens. And Sean and I worked together years ago. And Sean was a regular on Days of Our Lives and Fame and Facts of Life. He played Joe's boyfriend on the show uh, the last three seasons of Facts of Life. And um, and Sean and I had worked together doing stage work in the late 70s, early 80s. We did Christmas Carol quite a bit, Glendale Center Theater in Los Angeles, which is a great venue for actors. If you want casting people to come out and see your work, get involved in doing stage because it, it was a great showcase. You know, a lot of actors feel like they can just, they're only, it kills me when I had an actress, former student of mine, said, well, I don't do stage, I only do film. And I thought, well, you know what? In my mindset, I said that you're not an actress. Mm-hmm. You're not an actor. Yeah, you've got to be well-rounded. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a whole different process. But if you you know if all you consider yourself is just having to work with film, you know, and it, I'm not I don't teach method. I, 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 it's I, for me, it's always been about just knowing the character. I have a method that I teach called five four one technique. It's very simple. It's very basic, but it helps it helps the actors um, minimize a lot of time and, and and elements so they can get right to it and and improvise a lot of stuff because I. Again, one of the many things that I did over my career was, you know, as a member of Groundlings uh, comedy acting troupe in Los Angeles, of which in the years when I was there, there was uh, Dana Carvey and John Lovitz and Phil Hartman and uh, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens and Navarra, uh, Cassandra Peterson. So I was there during the mid 80s. And then I was also doing a show called Simultaneously. I was doing uh, No Time for Sergeants with Danny Roba at Glendale Center. We had a great time. 500 people in the round every night sold out 
And then we also, then I was doing uh, Bob Bukas Black and World of Sports, which was 44 Blue Productions per show that my friend Rasha, who now has all these other shows that he's on the air, that was his first year was the Bob Bukas Black and World of Sports. And so I co-wrote a number of the episodes back then and, and then acted and was like candy camera kind of thing. And it was sports themed since Bob Uecker was Mr. Baseball and moving down the front row. That's you know, right. So he, he, <laughs> Mr. Belvedere. And his other show. Yeah, Mr. Belvedere. So but him and Chris Hewitt, I mean, so, so Bob Uecker was, you know, massively popular in that time. And so I was fortunate to be part of that crew uh, at, at the inception of, of 44 Blue Productions. And so there was a lot of things like that <clears throat> that went on that I learned along with my trade to develop so that people can just do what they need to do, make it happen and make it special. And as I tell my kids in class or my, I have a mixed group of age. I don't do kids class or adult classes. I mix my, I mix everybody together for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And in, in doing so, I just tell people, look, we can build up that sand castle and tear it down anytime we want because we can rebuild it. Never say you're sorry. Nothing to be sorry for, sorry for, and never say no. Because if you say no, you say no to yourself. So always keep it positive and just have fun and keep it you know, light and fun and, and airy. So you, you, you want to have it fun. So with my vision with Cap Studios is eventually what I'd like to do is have a multimedia center so that I can develop, bring film being back so that we are number three in the whole nation behind California and New York. Um, and so that the tax incentive situation has become an issue. And my cohort, uh, Joe Tesson, who's my CFO of Cap Studios, you know, we're talking about it. We met with XX at Universal here in Florida, and uh, they basically rolled out the red carpet for us to do some association work with them, uh, utilize the facilities, and giving us and give kind of giving us a leg up, if you will, mm -hmm. in seeing Cap Studios succeed and with the storylines of what we want to do, and and keeping in mind with some great uh, filmmaking. So that's. Where we're at right now, we're just pulling a lot of stuff together. We're fundraising. We'll be, uh, for all the listeners out there, we will be putting together a GoFundMe program. Uh, it seems to be the best and most responsible way to doing things so that we give a, an account of all the funds that come in so that we use our money wisely and not foolishly. Mm -hmm. And to give out good product and good storylines with great actors and both on, uh, you know, mixing my uh, talent of, of, of wonderful actors, as I mentioned by name earlier. And also, um, uh, with the talent coming in from New York and also uh, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, and along with, some, like I mentioned to other people, I forgot to mention, I told him I'd <laughs> give him a leg up as uh, John Clark, uh, John Clark as a terrific actor, and uh, some other people that have just done some wonderful work for me, as I mentioned. And uh, uh, Akisha Bush is a great actress as well. And uh, so there's some fantastic people that. If some of the names, if you, once those of you have been listening to the show, the names I gave out earlier, as well as I just gave out tonight, um, those are going to be people. They're on Facebook, and if you're looking to hire some terrific actors, you know, I, I they have my nod to say, yep, they're the ones that would be great for the positions that you're looking for to cast. So that's me in a nutshell, there, Mike. That's. Uh, that, all that's going on. We got a lot, lot I, going on and still trying to develop things and make it happen. I was just going to say, I was going to uh, help you put a cap on Cap Studios here. So just tell everybody um, where can they find you and um, also um, other fundraising and how can they send money over to you to help your cause? That's one more question I have before I wrap up. Sure. Um, we will be developing a GoFundMe program. It's, it, once we get our line items uh, finished out this next week or two, We'll have that so where people can donate. Uh, there will be different levels of donations. So that if you decide to go over uh, between 500 and 1,000, uh, you will get producer's credit. 
Um, we figured by the masses that it'll be happening for them so they can go from executive producer to co-executive producer to producer to associate producer uh, and line producer. So there's a lot of things to, to do. I am on the hunt. Uh, they can reach me at either iancapsinc at gmail.com. That's my email address. Or simply we have our CAP studios on Facebook. I do more of my correspondence and postings on Facebook. Uh, that is pretty much our lifeblood. And that's where we gained a lot of the, the 7 million fans that we have for Chatter right now. You can also see the trailer. You'll see our, um, our logo, our video logo of Cap Studios. I think, did I share that with you, Mike, didn't I? That one last yep. week? Yes, I did, yeah. actually. And I did get to see it, and I was very, very impressed. I'm very happy for Thank you. you. And, I, and I mean, I'll tell you one thing. I think you answered all my questions, and I've learned a lot from you. And I have to say this. I feel like you're the ultimate sponge in the Hollywood industry. I give you very high compliments oh. on that. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you so much. I, I, that means the world to me to know that we can just, you know, I'm just, I'm just a torchbearer. I'm just passing, paying it forward. And like Walt Disney said, I, I've adopted his motto of keep moving forward. You know, that's the key thing. So the other thing I just want to quickly before we wrap up is to let people know, uh, I do have eight positions open for county executives with Cap Studios. And I can talk further about that, but it's a great way to make some solid money and be your own boss. And it can be anywhere in the United States. We're going to be looking mostly for people who have an understanding of product placement in films and corporate sponsorship to help us, you know, raise the equity that we need to, to move forward. We did it a lot when I was at Universal. That's what they live by. As Lou Wasserman said, if, if even though we've got multi-millions of dollars and billions of dollars, if we can use someone else's money to make it happen, then... There you make that's 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 and, what I've adopted in my brain. So and where can they, there. and where are they can send the resumes to? Uh, they can send it through my email at Ian. That's Ian Caps Inc. I A N C A P S I N C at gmail dot com. Uh, we are a registered Sun Business Business uh, Incorporated here in Florida. I mean Sun Biz means you have to be registered uh, with the state, and we are through Florida and also the town of Tarpon Springs, which is our home base. But we'll, we're going to be kind of gypsying it around. You know, probably in the next within the next six months, uh, as I mentioned, we're probably going to uh, we have an on we'll have an on-site office at Universal Studios, and that'll be you know temporary. Uh, but we'll be mobile there as we're filming in the back lots and utilizing their sound stages and various locations like in Sarasota, which is South Bay Tampa, downtown Tampa. Working with uh, Tony Armour, who's our film commissioner, who's done a terrific job here in Pinellas County. Uh, it's, they filmed if you're familiar with the movie Dolphin Tale. Dolphin Tale 1 and 2 were all filmed here under the leadership of David Yates, who's also a dear friend, and uh, he gave life to that. And uh, we were fortunate to have uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, Ashley Judd and uh, Chris Christopherson and uh, Harry Connick Jr. star in that movie. They, they did two of them, and they were right here, five miles from my home, and uh, the, Marine, uh, the Clearwater Marine Aquarium. So it's that kind of vitality that we're bringing back here to Florida that once was that you know, made us in the top five in filmmaking and we're bringing that back. So if people want to come down and dip their hand in their feet in the beautiful sands and make movies, well, this is the place to do it. And it's a great economy. I, I can't, I can't believe nothing. I miss California. I miss all my friends, but California is a big mess right now. And uh, the Florida truly, I believe it's the place to be in this industry. And I'm just hoping that cap studios will lead the way and, and allow it to be fun. Like you mentioned, Mike, to, to, so that people can enjoy themselves and have fun doing it, and that's my that's my mindset. Is that when we get to the point where we do have the facilities, I won't be I want to be able to have people to come to work and say I enjoy going to work for Cap Studios. Mm -hmm. I don't want 
that seems to be a burden. And the last thing I really want to mention is my involvement with the Wounded Warriors uh, Healing Project. Um, I, my, my goal and vision is to have uh, uh, rehabilitated uh, wounded veterans uh, working with us in various different positions, whether they work in the, in the sawmill and building sets or if they're in administration or accounting or whatever the case may be. I have a real fondness for vets. My dad was a vet. He was wounded. Uh, he was uh, in Normandy. He was wounded at the age of 19. And rather than coming home to California, he went back on the front lines and was in the Battle of the Bulge. He actually was uh, a scout for observer for Patton's Third Army. Wow. And so there's another, again, another history there, right there, of, of the whole a mishmash of, of world history, and especially with the, the patriotism of the armed services. That is, um, a, that so is I'm a big fan, and I really want to be able to mix that and work with Gary Sinise and pull in some, we have a nice full staff of, of wounded soldiers who have a place to call home. That is amazing, amazing. And of course, you know, I'll be down there to help you out at Cap Studios, and um, I'd like to have you on again soon, Ian. I'd like to thank you for your time. It's been great. I learned a lot from you. You're just amazing. You're a great storyteller, and I look forward to seeing your projects very soon. And I wish you all the best. I'd like to have you back on and give us an update. Oh, I would love it. That would be fantastic. Uh, we'll give a wonderful report to all those who are involved with us here at Cap and my group, and and thanks for reaching out and, and allowing us to have this uh, this time to, to, to share our thoughts and visions and dreams and realities. And uh, with your support, and for those that want to, give, again, give support out to, we'll be setting up a, uh, so be looking out for it on Facebook through Cap Studios and the, Go, the GoFundMe program, which will help to raise the support that we need uh, to make the trilogy happen. That's our first priority. And then from the revenue we make from that, then to start parlaying that into the, the multimedia center and corporate sponsorship. And yes, I do need eight account executives right away. So anybody out there who has at least a minimum of two years experience in, in that doesn't matter. Uh, it can be man or woman, child, <laughs> and, and they can, they can live anywhere in the United States. That's the, the beauty of the job is that they can, they can do, it's mostly telephonic and we can talk Turkey. Uh, and uh, my contact number is on there as well. It's 727-259-8441 and people can leave a message and I'll be sure to get back to them as well. And where can I, they you, thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me this uh, platform today. I really do. You've been listening to The Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios at themikewagnershow.com. Visit sonicwebstudios.com today for all your web design needs. If you would like to be a sponsor of The Mike Wagner Show, call or text at 701-301-7705 or email to mike at themikewagnershow.com. If you're a listener and would like to support our program, visit themikewagnershow.com and click on the support button and donate today. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time on The Mike Wagner Show at themikewagnershow.com. You have a great night and wish you all the best. Well, great. And have a great new year.